Luke chapter 2, please. Open your Bibles. When I was a, uh, a boy in about fifth or sixth grade, our family lived in Marysville, and we did our Christmas shopping in downtown Everett. We lived in the Stone Age before shopping malls. And uh, going to Everett was a big deal. I love to go to Everett. I love to go to the penny store with my mom because right next to the penny store was a donut shop <laughs> that always had fresh donuts. You know, those kind of, they used to be, it must have been a franchise where they had the donut cooker right in the front window and you go by and they're cranking out those donuts and you're going, yeah. <laughs> chocolate donut with chocolate frosting. Wow, it doesn't get any better than that. The challenge, though, of shopping with my mom was keeping up with her as she walked from the car to the store and from store to store. I'm, I'm, I'm puffing like that. She's just walking along. I'm going, whoa. But I'm beginning to think it's not my mom's problem. I, I think there's, there's something about women and shopping because I have the same problem when I go shopping with my wife. You know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of doo-dee-doo-dee-doo. I'm kind of, I'm meandering, and she's on a mission. You know, she's going somewhere. I don't know if anybody else has that problem, but do you ever wonder if God is meandering with your life? I think there are some people who are part of the Christmas story who might have wondered if God was briskly moving forward or meandering with them. Follow as I read from Luke chapter 2. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered or taxed. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn." How do you suppose Mary felt when Joseph came home from work and said, Mary, you won't believe what the Roman government has done. They said, we have to be taxed. We have to pay a head tax. It's a tax that some governments implement to, uh, you know, you're living here, pay a tax. And so the registration or the census had a purpose of taxation. And we have to not only pay a tax, we have to go back to Bethlehem to pay it. Or go down to Bethlehem to pay it. How do you suppose Mary felt? Mary. King James says she was great with child. It literally means she was with child. She was pregnant. Um, I don't know if you ever thought about uh, Mary's situation these were poor people to begin with, so paying the tax wasn't going to be a great thing. But then she had to make this journey. Um, way up there is Nazareth, where they lived. And way down there is Bethlehem. It's only about 70 miles or so. 
No big deal today. A little bigger deal back then. Um, have you ever ridden a donkey a long distance? <laughs> have you? I haven't. I've ridden a horse a little bit. That's scary enough. Or have you ever walked 70 miles? I don't know whether she rode a donkey or walked. Which one would you rather do if you're pregnant? Any of you ladies who have been pregnant ever think, oh, for sure, I'd want to ride the donkey. <laughs> or, for sure, I'd like to walk 70 miles. How do you suppose she responded when Joseph came home and said, hey, we're, we're making a trip to Bethlehem? And she's going, really? That trip would have normally taken, uh, I think, in the Bible time, people that have done study have figured it 20 miles a day was, was their walking, traveling distance. So they would have been walking for, you know, three to five days, maybe longer, depending on uh, how much she could walk. And then they got to Bethlehem. And Joseph says, well, I got good news and bad news, dear. <laughs> The good news is there's a place to, to get out of the weather. The bad news, it's a barn. Now think about it, ladies who have been pregnant. Think about it, just ladies. <laughs> you go sleep in a barn tonight. And then your child is born, and you're going to lay your child in a feeding trough for animals. I really do think sometimes we look back at folks like Mary and think, oh, Mary was just so excited about every aspect of this whole deal. Really? God had clearly come to her and said, you're going to have a special child. You're going to become with child from the Holy Spirit. Obviously, it was unique. It was incredible. Um, this is going to be a special thing, but do you suppose... She ever stopped and said, what in the world is going on? Is this really the way this is supposed to work out? I mean, here, I'm bearing God's child, and I've got to walk 70 miles. I've got to sleep in a barn, lay my baby in a manger. I knew people were going to think poorly of me because I'm pregnant and not married yet. I, I expected that. I knew I might lose Joseph, and I'm thankful that he was a godly man. And, but all of this? Now, because we're looking at these events after they've happened, we have the privilege of seeing exactly what God was doing in this situation. And we know that, that God had to get his son, our Savior, down to Bethlehem to be born because there was a prophecy that had to be lived out. Do you suppose Mary was riding along down there going, oh boy, we're fulfilling prophecy, oh boy. I really doubt it. But the thing that you need to understand is this, God is always purposeful. God's ways are always going somewhere. God isn't meandering Mary may have understood, or she may not have. My money is on not. That she did not understand all the details of her life. 
And then we could go on farther with the story. Here, here comes uh, the word that Herod is going to kill all of the, the, the little children. And what did they have to do? They had to move to Egypt. Somebody came to you today and say, you're going to move to, uh, to uh, Iraq or someplace that foreign to you. Would you be tempted at all to go, what in the world's going on? Mary had a whole series of challenging events, but she couldn't see all that God was doing at the time. Turn with me to the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. It's right after Judges. And the book of Ruth starts like this. Now, it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab. That would be the next country over to the southeast of Israel in that day. And his wife and his two sons went with him. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah. The name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malon and Kilion also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, return back to Israel. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah." Here's Ruth, average woman, believer in God, and uh, there's no food. So her husband says, we're going to move to the next country over. So they move. And then her husband dies. Two sons get married, they die. As the story unfolds, she says, Orpah and Ruth, let, Ruth, let's go back to Israel. So they pick up and start going, and then she implores her daughters-in-law, look, Go back to your families. Don't, don't come here. There's no future with me. One of them, Orpah, says, yep, I'm going to go back to my family here. Ruth says, no, wherever you go, I'll go. So here they go. They go on to Israel. When they get home to Israel, Naomi looks at her friends and relatives and says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, or call me bitter, because the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. She looked at her circumstances and said, this is terrible. God has been meandering. God has not been purposeful here. What in the world is going on? This is the worst thing that could happen. Here I am, a widow, and I've got a foreign daughter-in-law and no sons. We have no way to support ourselves. We have nothing. She was just overcome with her grief. And yet this truth, although it's a New Testament truth, is still true about God. 
We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. She didn't know this truth yet. But God is still the same. God was at work, but she could not see what God was doing. God was doing something so fantastic that she couldn't even imagine it. She came to experience God's hand of blessing, but she didn't know all that God was doing. Ruth met a godly, rich bachelor. Boy, isn't that a great line? A godly, rich bachelor. Can I get a witness there? Yeah. Some of you would like to be a godly, rich bachelor. I don't know. Ruth met a godly, rich bachelor who fell head over heels in love with her and married her. And they had a son. And before you know it, Naomi not only has a home and food and a grandson, but she was the great-great-grandmother of King David, which also made her an ancestor of Christ. Now, I know she wasn't an ancestor by blood. I understand that. But if you read the end of the book of Ruth, when her grandson was born, which was not related to her by blood, the people said, a son is born to Naomi. The people viewed that son as her son. So she's a, she, she became an, an ancestress of, of Christ. Now, she never saw that in her lifetime. She never saw King David in her lifetime. She didn't know what God was doing, but God was doing something miraculous and important in her life and through her life. God was absolutely purposeful. God is always purposeful, but often we cannot see his purpose, and that may well be because God's purpose is always beyond my purpose. Now, this is kind of an extreme statement. I hope you understand it as I unfold it. God's purpose is always beyond my purpose. Our natural purposes in the world are summed up by this phrase, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. These words from the Declaration of Independence are preceded by these. Men are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, among which are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I got news for you. That's not in the Bible. That is not what God has endowed you with. You know where that comes from? Your natural self. We all grow up wanting life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I want to do what I want to do, and I want to do it when I want to do it, how I want to do it, and don't you get in my way. That is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness as an individual. And so, when the medical test comes back positive, and the math test comes back negative, and the tire goes flat, and the expenses inflate, we are less than happy. Somewhere along the line, because of our American culture, or our sinful nature, or our worldly influences, or all three, we have gotten the idea that God is here to serve me. But he isn't. I'm here to serve him. God has a purpose and he is working it out, but it may not be what my purpose in life is. Here's some verses who summar that summarize God's purpose. 
God has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works or not because we have earned it or deserved it, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Now, I hope this doesn't shock you too much today, but I want to ask you a question. Did God save me so I could be happy now and escape hell later? Now, don't raise your hand. Don't answer. Because this is a trick question. No. The answer is no. God did not save you so you would go to heaven. Those things are byproducts of the life he gives. The purpose for my life is to help him accomplish his own purpose. By his grace, he has tagged some things onto his purpose that are extremely beneficial to me, not the least of which is going to heaven. Look what he says here about the purpose of our life. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and pat you on the back and say, you're a good man. No. So that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Do you know, if you live really righteously, some people are not going to like you at all. Because you show up their life. But God still might use that to reach them someday. God might use that to bring honor to himself in some other way. But the reason God wants us to live righteously is so that people will honor God. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. In John 15, Jesus is talking about our responsibility as Christians. He says, you need to be fruitful in the ministry of God so that God will be honored. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified. Through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion, forever and ever. God is always purposeful, but his purpose is not always what I naturally pursue. And so my natural response to God's way is not always what God wants from me. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, please. Philippians chapter 2 is going to help us understand how we ought to relate to God in his purposefulness. Philippians 2, verses two uh, tw- starting in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have <coughs> excuse me, always obeyed, not as in my presence only, But now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do what you want him to do all the time. No, it is God who works in me for his good pleasure. God is purposeful and he is at work. But it may not be exactly what I want to happen. God's purposefulness, however, does demand my respect. 
God is at work. He is accomplishing his purposes. And what he says I ought to do is demonstrate fear and trembling. Fear and trembling. Do you fear God? Now, I understand that in our modern Christian society, we like to talk about loving God, and we want to talk about how perfect love casts out fear. That is a truth from God. The question we have to ask, though, is this. Do you respect God as God? The one who has the right to do as he pleases, and he always does what is best to enable us to bring glory to him. Do you respect him that way? Listen to what Job said about God. God is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and prospered? Who has gone to battle with God and succeeded? He removes the mountains, and they do not know where he overturns them in his anger. He shakes the earth out of its place, and its pillars tremble. He commands the sun, and it does not rise. He seals off the stars. He alone spreads out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He made the bear, Orion and Pleiades, and the chambers of the south. He does great things past finding out. Yes, wonders without number. If he goes by me, I do not see him. If he moves past, I do not perceive him. If he takes away, who can hinder him? Who can say to him, what are you doing? And yet we say that, don't we? What are you doing? What were you thinking? Now, most of the time, we don't say it directly. Especially those of us that have been around a long time in the Lord, because we, we know this and we know we're not supposed to. But the challenge for us is this. We, we get our thinking upside down and we forget that He is God. We are His people, His children, His servants. We even forget that salvation is His gift to us. It's not something we have earned or deserved as though we, we should have the ability to expect things from Him. That's why 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, Listen, you were bought with a price. You were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. So here's the test. You won't believe where this is going. Look at Philippians 2 again. Here's the test of whether or not you fear God. Verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing. You know, God's admonition against complaining is based on his purposeful work in our life. That you may become, verse 15, Blameless and harmless children of God, without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain. Do all things without grumbling or complaining, the King James says. Complaining or uh, 
complaining or disputing. God is at work. God is doing things in me and through me. What is my response to that? What is my response to that when the light turns red and I'm in a hurry? What is my response to that when that little camera with that flash on it, on the stoplight, flashes while I'm in a hurry? You haven't had the privilege of experiencing that yet here in Bellingham, but it's coming. And they're going to send you a ticket in the mail and say, you ran through that red light. And you're going to say, God's at work. (laughs) Right? No. We start complaining. We start grumbling. And we never stop to say, God's always at work. So what's he doing here? How can I get my eyes off of my purpose up to his purpose and start to recognize his work? When was the last time you complained about something? Don't raise your hand. Parents, don't raise your hand and tell me about your children. Children, don't raise your hand and tell me about your parents. Maybe when you were in the slow line at Hagen. Oh, I went through that self-check the other day. God, I hate the self-check. If you got one item and it's clearly marked and you're at Home Depot, you can go through pretty fast. But at Hagen, you got to push in your special number, and you got to say, do I have coupons? And Oh, and then you got tomatoes, and they got to be weighed. Oh, I hate that. I hate that. I want to go over there. I was smiling and laughing while I was giving the clerk a hard time, but I was not a happy camper. Stupid little thing for us to be upset about. The newly installed brakes that are installed upside down. The child with whom relations are a bit tough. The friend who just won't act godly. The doctor's report that isn't easy. The money that won't go far enough. The boss that isn't reasonable. The parents who aren't reasonable. When's the last time you grumbled and complained. I'll bet you money. I would bet money that you didn't look up to heaven and say, what's wrong with you? But what God tells me in Philippians 2 is, if you are grumbling and complaining, you are failing to respect God as God. Because clearly, whatever is going on in your life could have been stopped by God, unless it's the direct result of your sin. Had somebody yesterday, we were having a conversation, and, and they, they talked about blaming God. God, why did you do this? Why did you do this? And then one day they went, oh, I realized God didn't do it. I did it. <laughs> That's what I was thinking while she was telling us that story. So yeah, there are times when I, I just push myself right into a bag of, of trouble. But other times... God says, don't complain, don't grumble. I am at work. Whether you're not, you directly criticize God, the same problem is evident, and that is a lack of understanding that God is at work, accomplishing his will in the world, in me, and through me. 
Do you know how seriously God takes this complaining thing, this grumbling thing? Listen to this from Jude. Now, Jude is talking here about unbelievers who are going to be judged, okay, and, and possibly about false teachers who are going to be judged. But look, look at the list of sins for which they will be condemned. Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them, of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts. Wow. God is so upset with people failing to understand him and how he works and their complaints, that they will come under God's judgment for it. Wow. Things happen in our lives that are so hard to understand. Some of them are silly. They're so small, like the red light. And some of them are are earth-shaking and devastating. A couple of weeks ago, I made reference to some missionaries who were murdered by some... Uh, natives down in uh, South America. And uh, I've been reading a book called God is Good. And the author went to a funeral, a funeral of a pair of missionaries that died recently, or some, uh, a missionary who died recently when their plane was shot down, down in South America. The government thought they were running drugs, and they weren't, and their plane was shot down. And the missionary's wife, Ronnie Bowers, was, was killed in that incident. And the author of this book went to the funeral. And one of the people who got up to speak at the funeral was Steve Saint, the son whose dad was killed by uh, uh, Indians in uh, South America. And when he got up to speak, he said, uh, he said I'm not going to talk to you. I want to talk to the son of this woman who was killed. And he said this, A long time ago, when I was just about your size, I was in a meeting just like this. I was sitting down there, and I really don't know completely what was going on. I really didn't know completely what was going on. And you know, I was trying to figure out what was going on. We just had Christmas, and here all these people were coming back to our house, and I thought, maybe we're going to have Christmas again. A lot of people were crying, and some people seemed to be sad. But in the midst of all of that, other people were laughing, and I knew something good was about to happen. I just didn't know what it was. You know, people have asked me about that, Corey, and I tell them I didn't really understand what was going on, but now I understand it better. A lot of adults used a word back then I didn't understand. They used the word tragedy. When tragic things happen, adults do really interesting things. They cry. And sometimes they can be happy and sad at the same time. And these people were saying that what had happened before we came to that church service was something tragic. Now, I'm kind of an old guy. And now when people come to me and they say, Oh, remember when that tragedy happened so long ago? I know, Corey, that they were wrong. You see, my dad, who was a pilot like the man you probably called Uncle Kevin and four of his really good friends had just been buried out in the jungles. And my mom told me that my dad was never coming home again. My mom wasn't really sad, so I asked her, where did my dad go? And she said, he went to live with Jesus. 
And you know, that's where my mom and dad told me that we all wanted to go and live. Well, I thought, isn't that great that daddy got to go sooner than the rest of us? And you know what? Now when people say that was a tragedy, I know they were wrong. Folks, all kinds of things are going to happen in our lives, some of which are fun and appear to be blessings, some of which are hard and appear to be tragedies. They may be small, they may be large. We need to look up to heaven and say, God, you are purposeful. I don't know what's going on. But I will receive from your hand what you've allowed. I will walk in your purpose until you choose to show me exactly what is going on. And I will walk in your joy. Heavenly Father, help us. It is so easy for us to get discouraged. It is so easy for us to complain and to grumble and to talk about the bad things that are happening and the terrible things and the hard things. Oh, Father... Help us to step back today and to look up to heaven and say, thank you for being purposeful in my life. And help us to walk in dependence on you and in love for you, knowing that you are working out everything in our life. I pray in Christ's name, amen.